You're listening to Maven Lee's Women, Work, and Worth podcast, where we have honest conversations about work and life so you can take your career to the next level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women, Work, and Worth podcast. My name is Kate Grimion, and I am your host. And today's episode features our first guest of the new year and one of my dear friends, Mira Lee Patel. Now, I was first introduced to Mira as a member of this awesome mastermind group I'm a part of, and the more I learned about Mira through the group and through her work, the more I was dying to have her on the podcast. Not only is Mira an outstanding illustrator and writer, she's basically the great philosopher of our generation, which is no exaggeration. She takes topics we think about all the time and don't talk about enough and makes them approachable and actually makes you think about them in a totally new way. She is a best-selling author and has three amazing books, My Friend Fear, Start Where You Are, and Made Out of Stars, and they are all as thought-provoking as they are beautiful. So today with Mira, we are going to dive into her work and spend some time talking about befriending fear and really discovering yourself and what you truly want. Mira has such a refreshing take on these topics, like instead of overcoming fear and ignoring fear, she shows us how to acknowledge fear in a way that can serve us in our truest desires. One of the examples you will hear in the podcast is a fear of putting your original work or your big business idea into the world. And the reason it's a fear in the first place is because your greatest desire may be to be celebrated or respected for your work or your idea. So by exploring your fears, you actually understand more about what you really want. We spend so much time trying to figure out what we really want and what our true passion is, and all the while it's hidden in what you're afraid to do. This was a mind-blowing revelation for me, and I got it all from Mira's work. She is absolutely amazing, and I'm so thrilled she's here to be sharing more with us today. I interviewed Mira virtually while she was at her home in Tennessee, and she graciously woke up very early in the morning to have this chat with me, and we talked for a very long time. So you are hearing the highlights of that conversation, but they are great highlights if I do say so myself. So without any further ado, here is Mira Lee Patel. Mira, thank you so much for coming on the Women Work in Worth podcast. It is such a treat to have you here. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And it's so funny. Usually when we're talking, we're on our mastermind calls and I can see your beautiful face, but this is like a very unique, it's almost more intimate because we can't see each other. I can't decide if it's better or worse or weirder. I don't know. I think, I mean, I I don't think better or worse, it's different, but it is, it does feel way more intimate just to hear your voice just in the atmosphere. That's it. Just two voices. It's really... It's sweet. I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, want to obviously dive into who you are and share a little bit about your story. You are a best-selling author and an artist, and you've actually written three books. And if possible, I would love to dive into all three. Your most recent, Made Out of Stars, Start Where You Are, and My Friend Fear. Um, and I would actually love to start with My Friend Fear and talk about your relationship to fear and how it's evolved over time. In your book, you share a little bit about writing the book and the different places 
places you were in as the book was being created and would just love to kind of hear how that journey unfolded for you and what your relationship to fear has looked like over time because um, I pulled some things from the book that I'm going to be really excited to talk to you about but would love to hear about that journey from you firsthand. Sure. I have always lived under the shadow of fear. I was raised to be fearful. Um, My parents are immigrants. They moved here from India in their late 20s. And having grown up with nothing, they worked so hard every day um, to build a really nice life for me and my sister and to give us all of the things that we haven't had. And that is a very common uh, story about immigrants and the children of immigrants. Uh, But what is not always touched on is that it is natural for immigrants to live within a scarcity mindset. They are not born into a family that has anything very often. And because of that, there's this uh, underlying fear that clouds almost everything in daily life that whatever you have will be taken away from you. And it gets very muddled with the concept of gratitude. Um, I was taught that I should always be grateful for whatever I have. And while I am a big believer in gratitude and being thankful for what you have and having a balanced perspective and not getting swept up in uh, comparison, which is definitely the thief of joy, when you're approaching gratitude from a place of fear, it becomes a burden because you don't think, you you learn to uh, believe that you should never have anything more from your life. You should never seek advancement. You should never seek better treatment. You even, you know, greater health, whatever you have, you should be grateful for. And that's it. You should stop there. And so growing up that way was very difficult for me. I had a lot of emotional uh, turmoil that I wasn't able to sift through and I didn't pursue Uh, my passions, which again is a common story. But for me, what happened was that I ended up suffocating myself. I didn't allow myself to be the person that I was. I didn't allow myself to even get to know myself. I was always who I thought somebody else wanted me to be. And, you know, as that will inevitably turn out, by the time I hit my 30s, I was a stranger inside my own body. I didn't know who I could be if I allowed myself to step out from all of these wraps and um, skins that I had put on in order to please other people. All I knew was that I was very unhappy every day, uh, doing ordinary things, just, you know, crying on my way to work, crying on my way home from work. And I didn't know why. I didn't know why I was so unhappy. And My Friend Fear was born from this. It's a book of 13 essays that are all about fear and how it has the ability to control us um, the farther that we try to run away from it. And what I learned during the process of writing this book was that the closer I held my fear to me, the more I examined it, the more I asked it questions the more I approached it with curiosity um, instead of disdain and instead of something that I had to eradicate 
uh, for my life, the more that I learned and the more I learned about myself and what I wanted and who I was. And while I wrote My Friend Fear, I tackled a lot of my biggest fears. And that in itself, to have that year um, where I left everything I knew and kind of dove deep into the world for the first time, it was so incredibly freeing and such a, it was the opposite of everything I thought it would be. It wasn't scary at all. And I learned to trust myself and who I am. And I learned to trust the people and the places around me, which I think is very different from what we're taught. We're taught to, or at least I was taught to keep everything familiar and to seek comfort and to seek safety. And what I didn't know until I learned it firsthand was that safety can be found in strange places and comfort can be found in the arms of people you've never met before. And familiarity can be in a stranger that you've met and you suddenly feel such a kinship to. And I found friends all over the country that I felt more intrinsically connected to than people I had, I had known back in New York for 20 years. And all of those lessons were really they have changed me. And I'm definitely a different person now at 31 than I've been for the first 30 years of my life. It's been such a gift to know that you can change and that there is always room and space for you to become even an even more intimate version of yourself. And as someone who's read in kind of dove into a lot of personal development and personal growth books. Your book had such a unique assertion about fear that I was so excited to not only jump on here and talk to you about it, but to talk to other people about it. And like you mentioned just now, it's like the closer you held fear, kind of the more comfortable you became with it. And in your book, you kind of talk about having fear as a friend and what fear requires if you actually get into relationship with it. And I think a lot of people, at least I know, I had this same experience where I kept myself really busy to kind of keep myself from even thinking about fear. And, and I really wanted it to go away because I saw it as this kind of negative or um, quote unquote bad thing in my life. And in your book, you talk about, and I'm hoping I articulate this correctly because it's so amazing when, when you read it, but this idea that to understand your fears is to understand your greatest desires. When you truly sit down and think, what am I afraid of? What, what, what's holding me back? Why, why is fear present? You learn a little bit more about what you actually want. And that's something I had never seen in any other book I've read, never heard in any other podcast, any other blog posts. And it just kind of rocked my world because on this podcast, we talk a lot about how to find your passions, how to find the things you truly love. And I've never thought about approaching fear and thinking about what I'm afraid of and, and what is that keeping me from and how is that ultimately the thing that I actually really desire. Absolutely. It can, it can you know, enlighten you. It uncovers, when you start asking your fear questions about, you know, why why am I afraid and what do I think will happen and what if that happens? You're uncovering 
uh, the reasons that you're staying in the same place. And if you're able to uncover those for most of the time, you'll see that those are not good enough reasons to stay in the same place. And as artists, uh, one of the biggest things that we feel with fear is, what if I make something and nobody likes it? What if I am criticized publicly? What if I'm condemned for my work? And very often, you know, answering those questions is enough to just say like, yeah, I'm just going to keep making the same work. I'm going to write the same books. I'm going to make the same paintings because I can't stand the thought of my audience rejecting me or I can't stand the thought of making something so awful. I'd rather just keep making the same thing that I know how to make. When you do look at fear and you re- you realize, you know, you know, okay, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid that somebody won't like what I've made. I'm afraid of feeling vulnerable. I'm afraid of exposing myself in my work. And you turn those questions over and you say, well, what if I expose myself in my work? And this was a big one that I had when I wrote My Friend Fear. That book is such an intimate uh, reflection of me, and I shared so much about me, my family, my heart in it, and I was very worried that people would see it and reject it, or they would say, this is, you know, this is awful, or you have no concept of anything, or this is child's work. And I thought, okay, well, I, I do feel very vulnerable writing this, and it's I feel very exposed, and the negative could be that I'm rejected. The positive is that I am embraced. And the neutral zone is that I'm being honest and I'm making mm-hmm. something that is a reflection of me and that does share my very uh, individual point of view and feelings about this subject and my experience that nobody else has had. And is that in itself, whether it's embraced or rejected, is that worth pursuing and is that worth sharing? And to me, it was, even though it was very difficult. And that, you know, was the impetus for writing this book, that regardless of how other people react to it, I still find value in it. And I think it is important. And I think that the work should be made. And so I went ahead and made it. And it can, it can be, it's hard to get past the vulnerability and it's hard to get past the fear of rejection, which I think is what accompanies most of us in so many things in relationships and work in even, you know, our friendships or saying hello to somebody on the street. There's always the, what if they don't smile back at me? Or what if they think I'm silly or dumb? And it's, it's kind of a, you have to answer those questions with like, I say this in the book, I say, so what? Yeah. If somebody yeah. doesn't smile back, you know, so what? That's okay. You smiled, you gave what you had, and you move on. And I think when you think about your fears and you answer, you get to the bottom, you get to the worst one, and you say, so what? It kind of takes the power out of the fear. And you see that, you know, what you're afraid of, it, it's just like any other you know, fear is just any other emotion. It's sadness, it's happiness, it's anxiety, it's, you know, relief. It's so what? It's not any more important or any less important than any other emotion that we're capable of feeling. It has value and it has its place. 
and learning to approach it as such, I think can offer a very good freedom for most of us. I love that question that you posed because I think so often we're not willing to even ask ourselves those tough questions. We imagine this kind of worse outcome, like the worst possible thing and don't allow ourselves to actually like think about that question logically or even like write it down. I mean, it just totally changes how you even think about fear because we'll stop ourselves from doing something like creating art, like changing a job, like starting a business, like speaking on stage. And we don't actually befriend fear and say, what's actually here? Like what's actually going on? Let's listen. Let's treat fear like a friend and say, what are you trying to tell me? And ultimately it's just trying to protect you, but we don't take time to listen. Absolutely. And it is trying to protect you. You know, uh, fear is self-defense. It's a mechanism that is designed to keep you safe. And the problem is that as humans, we find safety and comfort and we find safety and stability and familiarity. And if we rely on those too much, we never evolve and we never uh, allow ourselves to change and grow and learn and become, you know, better, better, more complicated, more able versions of ourselves. And like you said, if you approach your relationship with fear, like a relationship, one that you have to give to, one that you have to examine, one that you have to say, is this still working for me? Is this relationship still healthy for me? Or do I need to change it? Then I think that your relationship with fear can be something that overwhelmingly helps you and guides you towards that growth and towards that learning and towards that evolution instead of something that keeps you in the same place. It's when we have an unhealthy relationship with fear that we respond to new opportunities uh, with immediate anxiety and immediate stress. But when you learn to cultivate a healthier relationship with fear, one where you're able to say, okay, my fear is trying to tell me that if I do this public speaking engagement, like I feel a lot of anxiety because I think people will laugh at me. And you peel that back and you say, well, what if people laugh at me? And very often the answer is like nothing. I can't do anything about that. If somebody Mm -hmm. is going to laugh at me for what I'm saying, like that's, that's all there is. And will I feel, will I feel hurt? And will I feel embarrassed in the moment? Yes, I will. But what's after that? Nothing. Do I have the ability to try again? Yes. Do I have the ability to walk away and say, you know, that was a painful experience, but this is what I learned from it? Yes. Is there always the opportunity to learn and to grow and to take something beautiful away from any experience? Yes. And if you believe that life is meant to be whole, that the whole spectrum of emotion Uh, is meant to be explored and felt and valued, then I think it takes that fear away from what we label as negative emotions and negative experiences. I really think that we are taught to run away from sadness and heartbreak and even anger. And it's, I don't think it's a healthy way to approach life. I think that you are meant to feel And you are meant to sit with those feelings and learn how to respond and um, interpret them in a healthy way and to express them in a healthy way that doesn't harm people and that doesn't harm yourself. And 
I think approaching fear is the first step towards being able to get a grasp on the rest of those emotions. And I love what you said there about living a full life and not just expecting that everything will be happy. And I think one thing I've been kind of grappling with recently is this idea that life kind of requires that contrast of different emotions. It's mandatory almost that if you want to be really happy, really successful, really funny, or or whatever those extreme quote unquote positive emotions are, you're inevitably going to have to deal with or experience some of the not so fun emotions. And it almost, I hate to say that like it makes the other things much better or greater, but you really are never going to get to that most extreme version of that positive emotion if you don't step outside of your comfort zone. In the book, you talk about um, the experience of wanting to go to the beach and what kept you from that and how comfortable it felt to stay in your room, but ultimately how you knew that that wasn't the most fun you could be having. (laughs) Like, yes, this is a good emotion. It could be better, but I won't allow myself to do it because of the fear that it might not be as good as I think it will be. And I think that's something that's so worth digging into. Yeah. And that's, you know, that ties back to what you said earlier about the worst case scenario. And Mm -hmm. when we feel our fear, we automatically devolve to like the bottom of the barrel, the worst scenario that could ever happen on the planet. And for me, my body has always been something I've been ashamed of, which now I feel, you know, such shame thinking about how ashamed I've been, which is (laughs) terrible. But I had had always wanted a different body. I had always wanted to be somebody else. And yeah, I didn't go to the beach for, you know, 20 years because I didn't want to wear a bathing suit. And I, I was certain a thousand percent certain that if somebody ever saw me in a bathing suit, they would be, they would recoil. They would say that is, you know, that is the worst body we've ever seen. Like, can you believe it? I, I just, I was so worried about that. And I finally got to the point where I said to myself, you are a person who has grown up on the beach And you haven't gone and you have kept yourself from the sand and the sun and the waves and the earth. And what kind of life is that? And is it worth it? Is it worth to live under this fear of embarrassment and rejection when you are depriving yourself of a swim in salt water? Which is, you know, one of the best things that you can do on the planet. And... What I found was that when I finally went uh, with the support of some like great girlfriends, I finally went and nobody cared. Like nobody cared about me. Nobody, (laughs) nobody looked at me. Nobody said or felt anything, you know, negative about me or my body or how I look or any of that. And it was all in my head. And The longer that you let your fear build up and the more scenarios you think of every worst case scenario, the more hold it has over you and the more that it almost deforms your reality um, and your view of the world and what is real and what is possible and what is not. And I think what you also mentioned, writing down your fear and dissecting it 
concretely on paper is a great idea because it forces you to find rationalization that is very difficult to do when these thoughts are just rolling around in your head. When you write it down and you say, okay, what is my fear? What could my life look like if I didn't have this fear or if I didn't allow it to have control over me? It is much easier to weigh your options. It's much easier on paper to say, okay, I can be afraid and sit in my room in Brooklyn on a 90 degree day, or I can go to the beach with my friends. And when you write it down like that, you know, what choice is there really? One is <laughs> a great option and one is clearly awful. And it gives you that push to say, I'm going to do the thing that's good for me, despite it being scary, despite the fact that I have anxiety in my heart right now and I feel sweaty and cold and clammy and I really don't want to do it. I know that I should and I know that it'll be good for me and I'm going to walk towards that option. And what you mentioned about the more you think about it, the more it kind of builds up and becomes harder to do and realizing that you're probably thinking more about this thing than anyone else will, whether it's going to the beach, a speaking engagement, what have you, the thoughts bouncing around in your head about what other people will think or what's going to happen. The likelihood of people thinking all of the worst things that you're thinking about yourself is so small. And I think that that's why, and I just happened to do this. And, and thankfully I did whenever I got your books, I read My Friend Fear and then I dived into Start Where You Are. And I think if anyone's listening and thinking about the best way to kind of approach this work, I loved being able to read about fear and really understand my own fear and then jump into your book, Start Where You Are, and have that space to write things down, have that space to say, okay, what are my goals? And, and maybe I wouldn't have been honest about what my goals are, what I was feeling had I not just read My Friend Fear. One of the forewords, I can't remember who said it, but someone says, sometimes you even trick yourself into thinking it's not a fear, like it's it's real. It's something that just won't happen. You don't even allow yourself to grapple with it. Yeah. There are so many fears that live so deep inside us that we were not even sure when we decided carrying them. And it, it just parts of the world are turned off and you don't even know it. You don't even know that this is simply not, you just believe, oh, that's not an option at all. And you don't realize that it is an option. And you have had this fear deeply embedded for so long that you don't even consider it. And I find, I found that really interesting that you said that reading My Friend Fear first, you found it to be supplemental and allowed you to get more out of Start Where You Are. And I wonder if that's true for many people. I had never thought about approaching the books in that order, to be honest. And that's great. And I'm, I'm glad that you feel that there's something deeper you can get out of the exercises and start where you are because of it. Exactly. Because I think with any self-exploration, you know, it really kind of requires you to be honest with yourself <laughs> and, and to get out of, you're only going to get out of it what you put into it. Starting with my friend fear and kind of allowing yourself to really start to prime yourself or exercise that muscle for being honest with yourself about what you're really afraid of. And, you know, as you're flipping the pages and looking at these beautiful illustrations, you're asking yourself the questions that are illustrated on the page. 
wait, you're, you're having to almost confront the things that you are fearful of. And then when you kind of flip to these first few pages of start where you are and they're asking, you know, what your goals are, what are things that, you know, haven't happened that you would like to happen? It's like, wait, there are things that I didn't even realize I wanted once I read My Friend Fear that I can now write on this page and and starts to come to life because I'm putting it on paper that I never would have done if someone had given me a paper or if someone else was looking at it even. I mean, I think that this is something that can be so intimate and personal and you start to realize there are things on this page that 20 minutes ago or an hour ago before I read My Friend Fear, I didn't even allow myself to think that I wanted. Absolutely. And what you're saying about self-reflection and how maybe my friend fear has helped you realize more about yourself that then you were able to dig through would start where you are. It reminded me of one of the exercises in my friend fear. And I wonder if you've done it. Did you do the mirror exercise where it asks you to look in the mirror and just look at yourself without averting your eyes for about a minute? Mm -hmm. And I will be honest that, I mean, it's so hard to do, which is, it's crazy how such a basic thing, something you would think, I look in the mirror every day, but looking in the mirror and not allowing yourself to have the self-talk of what you usually say to yourself, the routine of what you say to yourself is so uncomfortable. Yeah. We look in the mirror, I mean, a million times a day. And I realized that Every time I looked in the mirror, it was to criticize myself. It was to say, God, you need to wash your hair, or you look so dehydrated, or you're breaking out here, or I wish I had a different nose. And it is exceptionally difficult to look into the mirror and to look into yourself and to see yourself and to be able to say, I like this person. And These are all the things I value about you. And to do, I really recommend that mirror exercise because I think that's where all the fears come up. They do. It's very, it's a, it's a very intimate and very vulnerable exercise to truly just see yourself without averting your eyes, without looking away and understanding and recognizing the thoughts that come out, that come up when you're doing that. And I think those thoughts are very telling about not only how you feel about yourself, but I think uh, some of the greatest anxieties and fears come up during that time. It's and it's mm-hmm. a very it's a very quick way to get to your fears. It's you know about a minute, and I think most people are surprised by what comes up during that minute. In fact, it was last year we had Meg Lewis on the podcast talking about her book, and she talked about how she kind of just avoided mirrors for so long, and I think for so many of us we'll look back, but we don't even really allow ourselves to see because we don't want to grapple with it. And it's so similar to the relationship with fear. We know it's there. We see ourselves in the mirror, but we don't see ourselves. Like we won't even spend enough time in front of the mirror to begin to have that conversation. That's how painful it is. And I think we, we sometimes have that with fear as well. We block off the idea that it's even a possibility. So often we talk to clients and we're the first, per- we're one, the first person they've told they're interested in starting a business or starting something on the side and the immediate reaction of, oh, well, that could never happen for me. I'm, I'm, I'm just not a person that can do this. Like they've put themselves in a category and it's yeah. so shocking to see how fear can have this control of, we find it laughable to think about the things we really want. That's how powerful fear is. Absolutely. It's not even an option. 
you know, you're you're just audience. There's two people, people who can do this and people who cannot. Right. And I'm somebody that cannot. And it's a it's a it's a reflex. You don't even have to think about it. You're like, nope, I'm just I'm not wish I was, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Too bad for me. It doesn't it takes a lot away from you if you let it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the beautiful part is that you don't have to let it. There mm-hmm. can be another life. There can be another way to live. And there is. And forces you to look at yourself and be vulnerable with yourself, uh, which is, you know, can be just as difficult, if not more than being vulnerable with somebody else. And it forces you to make change. You have to want to make the change. And I'm looking at the introduction and start where you are right now. And I mean, you basically say that exact thing. So at the beginning, you say, I spent a lot of my years longing for the past or waiting for the future to arrive, confused about where I was and where I wanted to go. And then this next line really gets me. Admitting to myself that I was confused and unsatisfied was difficult enough. The thought of actually doing something about it was a little too much to swallow. Instead, I welcomed a distraction. And so many of us do that. The distraction piece I think is so important and and why I love this book because it kind of makes you do away with that. But the amount of times we are about to start a business and then just apply for a new job or about to write a book and then we just go to a blog or we find these things to kind of satiate that fear. So like I call it fear disguised as practicality. Yeah. You say like, oh no, I just need a new job because I just want to make more money because I, I can't be honest with myself that ultimately I want to create something beautiful. So I'm going to allow mm-hmm. this to be the really pragmatic reason that no one will question or no one will push me too hard. And and because of that, I won't push myself too hard. And the distraction piece, both uh, obviously a threaded by friend fear, but also in start where you are, getting rid of that distraction is so tough, but it's so important. It is. And I, I mean, I think that is how most of us operate. It's so easy to do that, to to live under the practicality that you talked about and to let yourself be satisfied with what you have. But when you can allow yourself to imagine what else, like what else could my life be like if I didn't have these fears and what else could I offer the world and what else could the world offer me And I think, again, to go back to a fear a lot of artists have about evolving, letting their work evolve and letting themselves make something new, I always like to consider that, you know, so much of my creativity has yet to unfold. There are so many things that haven't happened yet because I haven't let myself have the chance to experience them. And that, that simple exercise of imagining a different life for yourself and imagining a different world and not dismissing it, not saying that's not possible for me because of X, Y, and Z, saying what if that was possible because I wasn't afraid? What if that was possible because I didn't distract myself? It makes it easier to visualize and it makes it easier for you to see that if you want to, that's something you can move towards. And that's why I love the name of the book, Start Where You Are, because when you allow yourself to envision this grander life, envision this bigger life, envision what you really want, I think the immediate next thought is almost always, well, 
well, I should be 10 steps farther than where I am. Well, I should be here. Well, it's not possible for me because of where I am now. And just the titles, almost like a prompt. It's like, it's like, just start now where you are. You can, you can get closer. You can, you can start to build this life if you just allow yourself to start. And that's why I love starting with with my friend fear and then coming here because it really is for those of you who haven't seen Start Where You Are, it's just it's it's the best workbook ever. It just has all the prompts, all the things you need to get honest with yourself about what you need to get to that next step. Absolutely, it's the mm-hmm. and it. I think that something that stops a lot of people also is feeling that this goal or this life change has to be. Uh, accomplished in a day, mm-hmm. you know, I, I need to get a new career. And then it, it becomes overwhelming because it's, there's so many steps involved. And you believe that if you don't accomplish it or make the change very quickly, that you are a failure. And what I like to encourage people to do, even though it is less flashy and probably less fun and less, I don't know, glitzy is, you know, to play the long game. To know that when you are taking the first step to recognizing what you actually desire, what you actually want from yourself and from your life, that is the most important step. And Mm -hmm. to be able to make a plan where you can make incremental, small steps, small changes every day, know that those are going to lead up to a great big change that you can't see it right now. And maybe you don't, you mostly don't even believe that it's going to happen But one day your life is going to look totally different because you decided to ask yourself, who am I? What do I want? What do I want my life to look look like? And trust that that you are going to end up somewhere beautiful and it's going to be a place that you've wanted to be in and that it's possible, I would say. You know, trust that it's possible. And that's something that, I think is so important for people listening to this podcast because I think it's our immediate reaction. Like even when, so when I joined our mastermind and I was just going through, you know, everyone's, you you know, your immediate reaction, which is so 2018, 2019 to go to everyone's Instagram and look at their work and look at who they are and try and get a sense about them. And immediately I was like, oh my God, all of these people are so impressive. They're successful. They have they're best-selling authors, they're traveling the world, they have these awesome books. And I think we all forget that those were created over time. Mira wasn't born with, you know, three books, a bestseller, an awesome creative career, being able to do these amazing illustrations. That's a craft that you honed. And I think it's easy when we look at someone's follower count or we look at their bio, we forget that it took time. We almost imagine that, yeah, for them, it was just they were born with this bio that's very impressive and and we forget about. And that's why I love at the beginning of your book, you talk about kind of what it took to write that book. And we don't allow ourselves to think about the fact that, oh, I will also have to do this work to get to this place. We want to be where someone is, but we're unwilling to recognize the time it took and the place where they started from to get there. Absolutely. And I think that it's very easy to also um, not recognize the hardships that people have faced in order to create what they've created. It's very easy to say, this person has, you know, all of these accomplishments and all of these followers and this big, beautiful life. And we don't remember that it didn't always look that way. 
that they had to maybe go through things that we can't imagine and that the important part is what they choose what they chose to do with those experiences and we're all having experiences we're all having moments of joy and pain and difficulty and sorrow and i do believe you know people ask me how did you become so creative i do believe that everybody has the same amount of creativity within them but it's about whether you are going to spend the time and whether you have the patience to cultivate it but it's possible for for everybody i don't think it's anything special reserved for just some people and i don't think the ability to make change is something special that's reserved for just a few people either it is possible for everybody and i really want people to know that and i really want people to try and to make the effort and to make the small steps even though it is difficult even though it feels inconvenient and even though very often it feels like you aren't getting anywhere at all you are getting somewhere and you are changing and all of those little steps matter and they you know they end up taking you to some place entirely new i mean that's kind of the perfect summation of everything we've talked about is really you know allowing for this contrast and allowing for things to have opposites and being okay with the fact that like things can be hard, things can be tough, things can be good, things can be bad, things can be whatever. And and you're just going to keep going and you're going to keep growing. And it, it's kind of this constant process, but that's kind of the point is that is that it's this constant evolution and this self-exploration or self-examination, all of it is just to continue to grow and feel and learn. And, and that requires um, a wide, a wide range of emotions that, that we all experience and just kind of realizing that and taking comfort in that really feels it feels good (laughs) yeah it does feel good it feels it feels really good and it feels meaningful and for me it excites me to know that things can change um I know that it can be hard if if you're really happy it that can be a scary thought like oh my god something's gonna change but that is a habit that we're we have developed that we have all I feel collectively developed um to think that change means something bad change uh is usually wonderful and always propels you to become stronger and to try harder and to demand more of yourself and I think those are amazing things to demand growth to you know demand evolution you know yes please I want more of that and realizing that all the good things that have come in your life, the good things that you don't want to change have come because of change. So inevitably, more good things will come at some point. They definitely will. And you'll be ready for them. Absolutely. Uh, Mira, this conversation just made me feel so good. It made me feel like I was <laughs> reading your books all over again. Um, so for people that want to continue this conversation, continue diving into these topics, where can they find you? Where can they find your books and where can they engage with this content? Um, they can find me and my work online at www.miralee.com. I am on Instagram at Patel. And my books and my work can be found on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and bookstores everywhere. Amazing. Mira, thank you so much for spending this time with us. This was an amazing conversation. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it so much and it was a great way to start my day. 
So that is all we have for you today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mira as much as I did. You can find everything she mentioned in the show notes of this episode. And if you'd like to hear more from us, you can head to our website at www.mavenly.co. You can also find us on Instagram at mavenlyco. And if you would be so kind, we would love for you to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. So you can go to iTunes, search women work and worth in the search bar. And if you could rate and review, that would be amazing. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.